0: Friends, we're in an H5 series. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about a variety of things. And I started with healing, which is the question, where does it hurt? We moved to healthy, which is the question, what do you want? And today I'd like to talk about height, which is really the question, why are you here? And my hope is that these questions that we ask will spur us on to looking deep within us, This is a little bit different from maybe some of the traditional teachings that spark has done Which is taking a a biblical passage and digging deep and finding out a little bit more About the nuance and the history and the language and all of that stuff And uh, i'm looking forward to returning back to some of those stories in january and hoping to start a new series entitled Hey, I have an announcement Which is really all about the gospel. What is that? What was jesus talking about? And just to give you a little bit of a teaser, how has the good news of Jesus devolved into good advice? And then I'm hoping to talk a little bit more through the book of Acts. How did we get here? How did this movement continue on to lead us to this particular point? Those stories that we're a part of challenge us to become certain kinds of people in this world, live a certain way, behave a certain way. And we talked about at the beginning of this series how many of us in this room have been hurt or damaged or frustrated or maybe even have experienced some trauma as a result of being a part of a church community, a faith community, that was supposed to be good news but turned out to be really horrible dysfunction. And so this series was developed as a hope to restore some of the wholeness and healing in our own hearts as a result of some of the damage or the pain or the frustration that many of us have experienced. Some of us are going through a deconstruction. We've talked a little bit about how many of us think that we just simply can't believe the things that we can believe or used to believe anymore. Those things don't work for us. My church, growing up, taught me X and Y and Z, and guess what? I don't believe any of that anymore. This series is designed to hopefully help us move to a place of not just simply rejecting what we cannot live or stand for anymore, but hopefully to embrace something that inspires us to live in a beautiful, redemptive way. So that's a little bit of why we're doing this. So I hope that over the next couple of weeks, as we take a look at the last couple H's that I have planned, that we begin to turn our eyes toward that Heavenly Father that has so loved us and redeemed us, Dig into these wisdom teachings to help navigate us, to help align us, to help orient us once again towards a direction of love and joy. And the last H is hope. Hope in this world. Proverbs 29:18, I've thrown the King James version up there. Everybody, recite this out loud together. Go. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Very rarely do we ever use the King James Version at Spark, so I'm very happy to hear you all say, keepeth. Very, very nice. A couple other translations. The Holman Christian Standard Bible reads, without revelation, people run wild, now, that's a very different translation from people perish. People run wild, but one who listens to instruction will be happy. Eugene Peterson, in his Message Bible, translates this verse, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most this is one of those verses that I have grown up uh, saying and reciting, hearing a lot of pastors and preachers use this verse very frequently. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And it's often used. Many of you might actually be familiar with this concept, where this verse is used to cast the next vision for the church, which usually means the next addition to the building, or the new playground that we're going to install, or the new ministry that we are going to launch out. Yeah, so where there is no vision, we will all die. So, dig deep and give so we can build a new building kind of a thing. I would like to take this verse, which I think is perhaps one of the most influential verses in my own personal life. I've gone back to this verse over and over and over again and just try to soak in it. What is this wisdom that this person is trying to communicate about the vision, and what is the opposite of vision? If we don't have it, what happens. Do we die? Do we run wild? What is all that? And I'd like to share some of my thoughts and reflections with you. A reminder that this comes within the context of those questions that we've asked. Where does it hurt? Which deals with pain. What do you want? Which deals with desire. And today we're going to deal with why are you here? Which is fundamentally about purpose, meaning, and significance. Every single one of us in this world desire some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose, some sort of significance by which we live. And this verse, I think, helps us get to the heart of how to discover the beginnings of finding our purpose or our meaning or our significance. Sometime after the time of Jesus, a gentleman by the name of Akiba, or Akiva, depending upon how you'd like to say his name, was a very famous rabbi. He is perhaps one of the most influential rabbis in Jewish history um, and definitely one of the most influential rabbis in the world outside, of course, Jesus and maybe a couple others. There's this story, uh, mythical story, that is told about him, that Akiva was walking down the road along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee with the beautiful breeze, and it was ending towards the day. It was coming towards the end of the day, and he was deep Reading the scriptures as he is wont to do as a rabbi But as he was so devoted to his study, he took a path not to the left But to the right and instead of heading back to his particular village, he ended up at a roman garrison Walking figuratively and literally into the wall of the garrison a voice down from the wall Shouted at rabbi akiva. Who are you? What are you doing here? Like a good Jewish rabbi, he pauses, he stops, he thinks, and he asks a question back How much do you get paid to ask me these questions? Confused and perplexed, the Roman guard scratches his head and says, Five drachma a week, what's it to you? And Rabbi Akiva says to him, I will pay you double. If you will come to my house and ask me these two questions every morning when I wake up Who are you? What are you doing here? Now, this story that is very popularly told about Akiva is very, very simple. Very simple questions. Who are you? What are you doing here? But yet, the reason why that story is told over and over and over and over again, and why many of us in this space and in the world struggle with activity, behavior, decisions is oftentimes because we actually don't know the answer to those questions. We don't know who we are, and we don't know what we're doing here. Businesses and consultants and people who do uh, coaching like to do Venn diagrams. They like to draw. Okay, here's how you identify your purpose. And this can actually be very, very helpful. Some of you, if you want to take a shot of this, you can. Your purpose is identified by, and here's the thing, the things that you love, the things that you're good at, the things that you get paid for, and the things that the world needs and if you can identify those four circles and then find that middle piece, then you will find your purpose in life now this can be very helpful i 've done this myself i 've done this with other people, and it can be a very clarifying uh, goal, and many of us would love to sit right there, especially if I could get paid for doing everything I love because Some of the things is like, oh, I love to do this, but it's just not economically viable. Yeah. So this is one way of identifying your purpose. Who are you? What are you doing here? What I'd like to do is share with you some illustrations, uh, a couple illustrations as to why this question is so significant and so important, Uh, specifically for you as a human being, but then additionally for you as somebody of faith or is trying to follow Jesus. Here's the first portion of my illustration. Question, what was the worst job you've ever had? Or what was a task within a job that you just absolutely hated? I actually debated. I thought maybe this side of the room could find whoever had the worst job, and then this side of the room could find who, And then we'll debate. Which side actually had the worst employer? Does anybody actually want to share? What was, a, what was the worst job you've ever had? I'm, I'm being a little risky here. Anybody want to share with me? Huh? You moved a library from one floor to the other floor, yeah. manually, just like, for $5, an hour. for $5 an hour, moving books. And that was one of the worst jobs you've ever had. Why? Uh, because at the end of the day, I got paid $15. <laughs> $15 to move an entire library. Uh, he's available, if anybody Somebody else? Anything else? Yeah. Cleaning dorm toilets. Cleaning dorm toilets. Yeah, I can hear the murmur. It's like, I don't know if we can beat that one. Anybody want to try to beat that one? One of the reasons why this question is so important is when you think about uh, people that are involved with work, one of the things that comes up frequently is this idea of burnout. Um, You'll hear this all the time. Many of you have probably taken seminars or even um, contemplated, am I burning out right now? And the reason why this is important for this particular talk is because Burnout is actually the function of two different things. Most people think that burnout is a function of just being tired. I hear this phrase kicked around all the time. Don't work too hard. You are going to burn out. It is a phrase that is frequently used for watching people work themselves essentially to death. But we've misunderstood fundamentally what burnout is from a a psychological standpoint, from kind of a human performance standpoint. Burnout, most viciously, really isn't a result of being tired. Burnout, what most people will tell you, is actually a result of loss of purpose. You're cleaning these toilets, you're moving those books, I'm moving packages, and something within me, I would imagine, if you thought about the job that you hated, the worst job you've ever had, I'm going to guess that some of you, somewhere, if you thought about it, it didn't, the, the job, the task that you were doing, did not connect to something significant or meaningful Or purposeful. It was just mundane. So, you want to be in this quadrant. Obviously, you got lots of energy and you got lots of performance, uh, lots of purpose, which means you're high performance. Oftentimes, when people say that you're burning out, it's actually not burnout. It just means you're tired and you need to be renewed. So, you still know exactly what your mission is. You know your purpose, but you just need a break. Uh, People that just need some time away. If you have high energy and low purpose, this is what's known as survival. Um, People in business and consulting worlds call this employee disengagement. People that quit and stay. You know those people? That happens frequently. And burnout is the result of having no purpose and low energy. One of the first times I ran into this particular concept was reading this gentleman by the name of Henry Nowen. And in his book, In the Name of Jesus, he writes, the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for a spiritual death. In the midst of people who are involved in ministry and doing and working and behaving, many people would say, you're burning out. You just need time away. You just need to get rested. But the reality was the central drive that causes you to do good work, do good ministry, do good service, that was dying within them. And so we often use the word burnout, but what often frequently happens is that it's spiritual death. You've lost your purpose. You've lost any sense of meaning. You've lost any sense of significance for how the activities that you are participating are making a difference in the world. In other words, where there is no vision, revelation, where there, that is absent, people cast off restraint. They just run all over the place no purpose, no direct, just busy activity. First illustration, work. Burnout is not the result of low energy. Burnout is the result of low purpose. This is why knowing who are you and what are you doing here is so critically important to your identity and to your life and to how much joy and happiness you actually have. Second illustration is one of my favorites. We have a wonderful congregant here, Kendra. You know the Randolphs, many of you. Kendra and Marcus have been good friends of ours for a long time. And if you know them, you know that they think deeply about sports. Back in 2012, uh, I was working at the Kings Academy and they needed a soccer coach. And I thought to myself, I know exactly the person to lead this team. Um, kendra loves the lord. She's a passionate believer a follower of jesus and she loves soccer She played college. She's the perfect person Uh, Long story short. She gets the job. She gets in with the team She is the head coach of the women's soccer team 2012 2013 rolls around for the whole season at one of the very first meetings that she holds with this team She lays out the calendar for the season and for the playoffs and for the championship game. Now, the reason why that's significant is because this is the King's Academy. Now, I love my school, but if you take a look at the championships for soccer in the hallway, yeah, they don't exist. And all of the team members that had kind of graduated into the varsity team, they're like, yeah, I've been doing soccer for a long time. We do pretty good. We have have some fun. But playoffs, what are you talking about? And as I did my best to try to get the story from Kendra, she lays all of this out, and she says, you need to mark on your calendar right now these dates for the playoffs and for the championship game. And the look, I mean, I'm imagining now, the look on some of these girls' faces, like, are, are you crazy? Are you, are you serious? Well, you probably already know where this is going. And I'm uh, it was so frustrating because I downloaded like the entire 90-minute game that I was going to show you right now as part of the sermon. Couldn't do that. But the last game uh, versus Harbor. This, by the way, they they go and they win their championship. They are 13th seed. They are last place, and game after game after game they win. And at this particular point, nobody can believe this is happening. And the final game versus Harbor, they win one to zero. The King's Academy, as a result of Kendra's leadership, and what I would suggest as an illustration for this point, as a result of her clear, articulated vision for what we're doing and how we're going to get there, was hugely instrumental in causing this to happen. And there she is. Championship plaque right there. There's the team. Well, not all the boys there, but obviously the team. And it was one of the most exciting things I think I remember being a part of. Here's a good friend of ours. She's the head coach. She's getting this championship. And it all started with a meeting many months ago with looks on girls' faces like, are you serious? In other words, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Why are you here? Purpose, meaning, significance drives and influences everything about who you are, the behaviors that you do, the decisions that you make. So let me spend the, just the next few moments digging a little bit deeper into this verse and asking the question, so what does Proverbs twenty nine eighteen 18 actually try to bring out for us in helping us to form what our purpose and our vision and our reason for existence is? The first word is the word revelation there. It's the word chazon. Everybody say chazon. Chazon. Very nice. And the second word, which is used to be cast off restraint, the King James translates it perish. But I like the word cast off restraint or the other translation, which is to run wild, to have no direction whatsoever, to just be busy, but without any real clear direction is the word yifara. Now that's going to come into significance in a little bit. Now, the word chazon for revelation just simply means an oracle. It means a divine word. It means that God has spoken something down into the people. This is the oracle at Delphi. And for those of you who've studied maybe Greek mythology, part of what happens in Greek mythology is that people, as a result of being perplexed or confused about what decision should I make for my business, where should I go about this relationship, what kind of decision should I make about my move, would then often seek out wisdom from an oracle. So they would go to places like this So they would go to places like this and then seek out the wisdom of the person behind, essentially, the veil. That is the word chazon. But the biblical word chazon gets bigger than that. It actually means a vision divinely inspired that is spoken down through the people. Whereas Greek oracles are often, and in fact, if you do some of the archaeology, you will find places where certain chemicals and certain gases are coming up through the ground, which is why the oracles are there. And so a lot of archaeologists believe that when an oracle is actually giving their statement, they're actually high on some sort of drugs. Look behind the veil. The word chazon in Hebrew has this idea of vision, that there is a divine revelation that is being given to you, a direction that God can see where you're going, and he communicates that vision through the people, through prophets. Um, in fact, the word vision, chazon, that is used there is often used to start the beginning of the prophetic books that we have in our Bible. The beginning of the vision of Nehum, the beginning of the vision of Obadiah, the beginning of the vision of Habakkuk. If you read carefully, when it usually says vision or the prophecy, oftentimes those are the English words for the exact same word here, Vision. So this particular vision comes from God himself, where you are actually seeking out wisdom, divine revelation for a place that you are to go. Now, what's the opposite of vision? Well, the opposite of vision is this other word to cast off restraint, yifarah. Now, when I looked this up, I was astounded to see something that I'd like to share with you. First of all, the word can mean to run wild. It can be undisciplined. There's uh, There's one portion of the Hebrew Bible where this word is used for somebody's hair. It is disheveled. It's like bedhead. It's like, that's what your life is like. When you have no vision, you have bedhead. Another way to translate it is to be out of control. Now, the reason why this Hebrew word is so important to me is because if you take a look at how it is, the root word of it, yifara is actually the same word as pharaoh. The word pharaoh in Hebrew is the same word as the word to be out of control to run wild, to be undisciplined, to be disheveled. I love that. In other words, where there is no divine revelation to give you the purpose and the direction and the significance for your life, you end up like Pharaoh, uncontrolled, undisciplined, disheveled. One step further, if you remember the story, Moses comes down off of the mountain. For those of you who've studied this, you know about the story of the Ten Commandments. He goes up there and the people down there are wondering what in the world is happening to this guy, Moses, who supposedly brought us up out of Egypt. And he said, and the people say, come, make us a God to go before us. For this Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we do not know what has become of them. Now think about this for a second. These are the people that saw the 10 plagues. These are the people that saw the parting of the Reed Sea. These are the people that saw the fire and the pillar of cloud. These are the people that saw the divine hand of God, and now they say, well, we don't know where he went. (laughs) We're not quite sure the clarity of the vision of God for the liberation of the people somehow got lost. And so they go to Aaron and say, please make this for They throw in earrings, all their jewelry, and out jumps this golden calf. And I love this guy's face right there. (laughs) Israel, here is your God. Here is the one who has brought you out of Egypt and they have revelry, and there's wildness and craziness in the camp, and you're not going to believe what word they use to describe the people. Moses saw that the people were Yipharah. Same root word as Pharaoh. Same root word as uncontrolled. Same root word as disheveled. They had just come out of the oppression of Pharaoh, lost their meaning, their purpose, and their vision, and had become just like Pharaoh. That's huge to me. This is how significant and how important it is to maintain a clear understanding and sense of the chazon, of the divine revelation from God because in the absence of that, where there is no vision, we run wild. In the last couple of weeks, actually for a while now, I've had some conversations with people who feel like they've lost some of that vision. We've talked a little bit about people who have said, I just can't do that faith anymore. That expression of Christianity is just not working for, for me anymore. And we've had lots of conversations. There's lots of Uh, People are along the spectrum on on that and we have uh, wonderful discussions as to what about that is good and what But some what I've heard recently in fact I was having a conversation with some students at Stanford and they referred to me that some people are saying you know What some of what I see in this Bible? I just can't do anymore And they've just said well, I just don't think it's that important just throwing it all out now Please understand, for those of you who might be feeling that, I get it. I mean, we do garden to garden. We've taught through some very difficult passages in the Bible. And some of it is really, really complicated and hard to get through. So I understand. But then this Proverbs 29, 18 verse comes back. to me. Where there is no vision, chazon, clear revelation from God, divine speak, we run wild. We cast off restraint. We are undisciplined. And that's exactly what I see as a possibility of what is happening when we get too much on the other side of like, I'm done. Because here's, in addition to those hard things that are in the Bible, you know what else is in there? the beautiful, amazing story of how every single human on the face of the planet has been created in the image and likeness of God, and about how God has come down to dwell with all of Do you know what else is in this Bible? A beautiful story about how God, even though the earth was full of violence, God brought redemption, baptized the earth, set up his weapon in the sky, the rainbow, to say, I am not going to destroy the earth any longer. I'm going to do a different kind of redemption on this earth. Not to be done with violence, but to be done with love. You know what else is in this Bible? The story of Abraham and the cutting of the covenant, where God clearly says, if you screw up this covenant, the punishment will be taken out on me. That story is also in the text about how a God who says, there's clearly going to be a breaking of the covenant, but I will take on the punishment for it. You know what else is in this Bible? This beautiful story about how Joseph, even though he was you know, suffered at the hands of his brothers at the very end of the book, said, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Teaching us that the book ends of Genesis is about goodness. And about even though there's fratricide, even though there's difficulty and challenge between brothers and sisters, somebody somewhere with the divine revelation from God can say, there is an intention of good here that we can be captivated by. And what else is in there? This beautiful story of God's redemption, his freedom, and the story of Exodus is all about liberation, about how powers do not have the final word, about how people are ultimately designed to be free, to live under their own governance, and to live in such a way as to ensure that there's no longer oppression of other people. That is also in the story. And then Deuteronomy comes along and says, oh, how I carried you through the desert as a father, carries his son. And so when you feel like you're in the desert, when you feel like you're in the wilderness, when you feel like everything is just shot to heck, it is in those moments where this text, this story declares how I carried you, like a father carries his son. This is the same story where prophets rise up and people in power get told to knock it off. I need a story like that, where people ordained by God, given that vision, are told, The way in which you're governing is causing poverty and hurt and pain and injustice in the world. Stop it. I need those people in my story. This is a story full of wisdom, which is part of this particular series about how do we navigate the world's complexities and tensions. And this is a story that says that the God of all of that came down here to bring healing and hope and restoration. That same person did the same thing as the prophets, got in the face of the religious leaders and those in power who were oppressing others and saying, knock it off. That is not God's intention. And this is the same person, the God who has come down here to rise from the dead, to ultimately declare to the world death, destruction, all that doesn't have the final word. And this is the same story, where the movement of that same Jesus said, everybody, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, you get to be a part of this too. It's not an exclusivist club, it's for everybody. And this is the same story at the very end of Revelation, when all things are put to right and restored, and the tree of life is there, and there's healing for all of the nations So, friends, I understand. By the way, this is why it's important to go through garden to garden. So just another little plug there. I understand the complexities and the difficulties of dealing with the text that we find as ancient and difficult and sometimes teaches things that we're a little repulsed by, but where there is no vision. We perish. We lose our way. We miss the story. We miss all of the beautiful redemption that comes through all those stories and and more. This would be my particular translation of this verse. In the absence of vision, the chazon, people live unrestrained and wild. But happiness comes to those, and hear this, guard and protect the stories found in the teachings of our tradition. In fact, the word for guard is actually used there in Proverbs. Proverbs. So, my friends, in conclusion, why are you here? What was all that about? Just a little survey. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. if I can sum up everything that I just did there, grounds us in this one fact. Don't forget the story that you have come from. And ultimately, the direction and the way in which you find your ultimate purpose, your ultimate meaning, and your significance is going to be found in reclaiming and rereading those stories. Because the Israelites, as soon as they left Pharaoh, forgot the story. They forgot what God did. They forgot who God was, and they began to run wild and disheveled and uncontrolled and undisciplined. And so I think what Proverbs 29 is doing is pulling in that story into its nice, pithy statement. If you don't pay attention and guard the teachings and the stories that we have inherited, we too will also run wild. Really quickly, there's an inverse principle to all of these. If you feel like your life right now is running wild, undisciplined, uncertain. Maybe you're a little perplexed. Maybe you're really challenged. Maybe you're really frustrated. Even at evangelicalism, at Christianity, at people of faith, at work, wherever it may be, your family, you are just kind of on the edge. You are, you have cast off all restraint. If that's where you feel like you are, then I'm going to suggest to you Proverbs 29 is going to propose what you need is vision. What you don't need is just to make it all go away or somehow escape from it. No, what you ultimately need is vision. You need a divine revelation. You need to reclaim that story. You need to ask yourself some deep questions. Why am I ultimately here? What is that story that informs my purpose here? And that, my friends, is what I'm going to suggest is the beginning of a getting at this particular question and getting at why that vision can be so powerful for what kind of behavior in life that you ultimately lead. Now there's a lot more obviously to this, but this is just the beginning and an introduction to it. I hope you take Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen seriously. I hope I do. Where there is no vision, disheveled hair, and if you feel that way, maybe what you need is just a little more vision. Okay, God, remind me of the story. Remind me of my purpose. Remind me of who you are, what you've done. Remind me of where we're going. Remind me of that. And then ground yourself in that story. Then we can move on. Then we have a grounding place from where we can live. Okay, God, I've done my best to try to share my thoughts and reflections. Um, As always with these teachings and your word, may your spirit transform the hearts of my friends listening to this. May your spirit provide the vision that is needed for them and for their lives. May your spirit work diligently and transformatively for their souls so that we can step forward, that we can remind ourselves of purpose and significance, that we can avoid burnout and spiritual death, that we can be revived once again, happy and blessed once again, by deep, significant meaning, grounded in your story. And I pray in your name.